As I was rereading the Easter story in recent weeks, I was intrigued with the story of Mary Magdalene meeting Jesus at the empty tomb. It's a story that's found only in John's Gospel. We might conclude that Mary told John about it personally, and what's more, everything about her story rings true to human nature as we know it. But a weeping Mary lingers by an empty tomb, wondering what has happened to the body of the person that she loved. When Jesus suddenly appears, she doesn't recognize him. And then she grips his feet so tightly that he has to tell her to let go. And the story ends with this mourner turned into a missionary, running to tell Jesus' followers what she has seen and heard. Although Mary Magdalene plays an important role in the life of Jesus, we know surprisingly little about her. She is one of at least five different women named Mary in the New Testament. And unless we are careful, we will get them confused. Mary Magdalene comes from the village of Magdala on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. She's one of a group of women who became followers of Jesus during his earthly ministry. She and the other women joined themselves to Jesus and to his disciples and followed them from village to village, offering financial support and helping them in various ways. And we're told in Luke's gospel that Jesus cast seven demons out of Mary. Before she met Jesus, she was totally enslaved by demonic power. She had got into this, how she got into this sad condition, the Bible doesn't say, and it does, doesn't do much good to speculate. But we may be certain that if one demon is terrible, seven demons must be seven times worse. And no doubt her condition was well known to other people. Perhaps... She manifested it in such a way that caused her to be ostracized from the rest of society. Some people think that she was the woman that John, in John's Gospel, chapter 8, tells us was caught in adultery, but there is no evidence in the text to support that. Others suggest that she was the sinful woman who anointed the feet of Jesus in Luke 7, but the Bible doesn't say that either. There's some tradition that makes her a promiscuous woman, but there's no reason to say that based on the facts of Scripture. In church history, she has become a symbol for repentant sinners who come to Christ from a very checkered background. Now, this may be a fact, this fact may be true in her case, but we have no way to be certain. But this much we do know. When Jesus set her free, Mary, uh, he liberated Mary from the evil impulses that had kept her chained, figuratively and maybe even literally. She is living proof of the words of Scripture that those whom the Son sets free are free indeed. And having been liberated from demonic bondage, she said to herself, and maybe even out loud, I love him for what he did for me, and I will follow him wherever he goes. Listen to Matthew's gospel and how he describes the scene. As evening approached, Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea who had become a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate issued an order to release it to him. Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth. He placed it in his own new tomb, which had been carved out of the rock. 
And then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. Both Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting across from the tomb and watching. On Saturday evening, after the Sabbath had ended, she brought some spices because she had hoped to anoint Jesus' dead body. Remember, Jesus was hastily buried on Friday in order to finish before sundown, which is why they had not yet finished preparing his body for burial. Early on Sunday morning, before the sun came up, she and the other women ventured through the darkness to the garden tomb, expecting to finish the job of anointing the body of Jesus. And if we piece together the various accounts of Easter Sunday, it seems that Jesus rose from the dead sometime in the pre-dawn hours. There was an earthquake. The seal of the tomb was broken. The stone was rolled away by angels and the risen Christ came out of the tomb. The soldiers were knocked unconscious, and, they woke, and when they woke up, they fled in fear for their life. And when the women found the tomb empty, they were confused, and they were terrified. The angels told them that Jesus had risen from the dead. They returned to tell the disciples who thought they were talking nonsense. John and Peter investigated, and when they saw the linen wrappings exactly where the body had been placed on Friday evening, then they believed. They left to tell the others. <coughs> At that point, Mary Magdalene returned to the tomb, and she was confused. She was bewildered. She was in shock. She was frightened. She was brokenhearted. It had not yet occurred to her that the empty tomb meant that Jesus had risen from the dead. It has often been said that Mary Magdalene was the last at the cross and the first at the tomb. That's a high honor that can be said of none of the other disciples, people that followed Jesus. <coughs> she was the first to see him alive. She was the first to hear his voice. And the irony of the story is that when she saw him, she didn't recognize him. But when the truth hit home, she began to tell others about Jesus and how much she had loved him. Craig Barnes, who was at one time the pastor of the National Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C., and now president of Princeton Theological Seminary, wrote an article some time ago called Easter in an Age of Terror. And he points out that Easter is both good news <clears throat> And it's terrifying news. It is good news that Jesus came back from the dead. It is terrifying news because Easter confronts us with the awful reality of death. The biblical accounts of the crucifixion stress that many people watched it from a distance. They wanted to see what would happen, but they didn't want to get too close. And that, that's how most of us handle death, isn't it? By keeping it at arm's length. <clears throat> We avoid going to funerals unless it's someone close to us. We never just drop by the funeral home to have a cup of coffee, do we? We work out, we lose weight, we lower our cholesterol, we take our meds, we try to be careful so that death won't come too close to us. But sometimes death does come and knocks at our door. <clears throat> Other times death breaks the door down and comes barging into the living room whether we like it or not. And we all know that's what happened on September 11, 2001, in this country. Death entered every home in America, not 
one person could escape the anger, the horror, the shock, the terror of that moment. And in one dark moment, all our illusions of security were utterly destroyed. And since then, we have had new security measures. When we fly, we have security in our schools and businesses and even churches. We have color-coded security alerts. We have lockdown pre procedures. We prepare for the worst. You see, death is never easy to deal with. And most of the time we can avoid it or postpone it or keep it away from us, but sometimes death stares us in the face and we don't know what to do or how to respond. And that's why Mary is standing alone in the garden to, uh, that morning at 6.30 a.m. on the first Easter Sunday. Listen to how John describes the scene. He says, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. So if the tomb is empty, the question I had was, and I, as I read that again, is why is she still there? Either you know the answer and I don't have to explain it, or you don't and there isn't much I can say. But if you've ever lost a loved one, if you've ever lost someone close to you, a spouse, a, a, a dear family friend, someone who meant more than life itself to you, you know why she was there. She had loved Jesus in life and now she loved him in death and she served him in life and she meant to serve him even in his death. And she was there at the tomb alone that morning because death could not destroy that love. Now some of us may have gotten up this morning and remembered a friend or a loved one or a family member who's not with us this year. And maybe later today some of us will go to a quiet cemetery and stand by the grave alone and in our heart we may even talk to that person who's now gone and tell them how much we miss them. And if you've ever done that, you know why Mary was there that morning. And she's weeping because the tomb is empty. She's weeping over an empty tomb. What should have been good news broke her heart. And we would say today that the empty tomb is one of the greatest proofs of the resurrection, and yet Mary's weeping. And this shows us that evidence alone will never persuade anyone unless the evidence is accompanied by proper understanding and an open heart. No, none of us will ever be changed. Mary had all the right facts, but she jumps to the wrong conclusion. And we often do the same thing when faced with trials, when faced with unexplained tragedy. We often weep over our circumstance when, we had, when if we had God's perspective, we might not be weeping at all. But consider this, if Mary had gotten her wish that day, we would be the ones who were weeping today. If she had found Jesus' body still in the tomb, we would have nothing to celebrate because Easter would not exist. In verses 14 and 15 of John 20, it says, She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell him. Tell me where uh, you've put him and I will go and get him. Why didn't she recognize the Lord? The text doesn't say, but several possible answers come to mind. Certainly, she was not expecting to see him. 
All of us have contexts in which we place our friends. We have people we know from work. We have people we know from the neighborhood or from a family reunion. You know, I know many of you who come to worship regularly because you sit in roughly the same places week after week. But let me run into you at Myers on Thursday morning and I might just draw a blank. You know, you're out of context for me. Certainly Jesus was out of context for Mary that morning and she had been weeping and she was overcome with emotion. But the main reason seems to be that Jesus deliberately veiled his identity much as he did with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24. Jesus did not want Mary to recognize him at first so that he could teach her a very important truth. And she had to learn that he is always present even when he is invisible to the naked eye. And from this we learn that our Lord is often closest to us when we feel the most alone. And many times when we're going through that dark valley, we think that God has abandoned us. But if our eyes could be opened, we would see the Lord walking with us every step of the way. Just because we don't see him doesn't mean he isn't there. Now notice the question Jesus asked. Who are you looking for? Not what are you looking for. That's a very different question. Mary was looking for what? She was looking for a dead body. She, uh, she was looking for something. And Jesus pointed her to someone. The answer to our deepest needs is not something in this life. It is someone. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 16 and 18. Mary, Jesus said, she turned to him and she cried out, Rabboni, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I have yet, haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And then she gave them his message. Mary. Mary. He still knows her name. Rabboni, she calls him, my teacher. Now think about how much emotion we convey in just one word. Father, mother, dad, mom, child, sweetheart. When Jesus called her name, he was conveying many things to her. He was saying, I'm here. I'm back from the dead. I still know you. I still love you. She knew his voice in that moment, and, she, and he knew her name. And this fact of, is of supreme importance, because death cannot destroy the human personality. The essence of who we are passes through death undisturbed. The real you lives on and passes through the doorway marked death to enter the great eternity that lies just beyond the threshold of this world. Then Jesus says to her, do not touch me, or better, stop clinging to me, Mary. Maybe she knelt down, maybe she wrapped her arms around his feet again, because she didn't want him to leave. I thought I had lost you once, but now I've, I've got you, I'm never going to let go. You see, in Jesus, Mary had found a person she could love and trust, but she was clinging to that which she needed to give up. Her clinging meant I think everything is the same as it used to be. And the words of Jesus mean something like this. No, Mary, many things are different now. 
See, very gently, Jesus begins to unfold the future before her eyes. He will soon ascend to the Father where he will take his place at God's right hand. And from there, he will intercede for his followers and he'll commune with them regularly through the Holy Spirit. And he will be closer to them in the future than he has ever been in the past. But if he stays on this earth, his ministry will be limited to the few people who will see him face to face. He must ascend or we will not be redeemed. He must leave the few so that he can save the many, which includes all of us who choose to follow him today. On that day, Mary could touch him, but once he ascended, we can all touch him through faith and through prayer and through worship. See, Mary's desire is understandable and her fear at losing him uh, is very human indeed, but we can, it cannot be that way. All of life is a letting go, isn't it? It's a releasing of those things in life that we hold dear. It's a giving up and letting go of even sometimes loved ones to the ultimate fulfillment of God's purpose and God's mission. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I have yet, haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them. So Mary went and told the disciples what she had seen and heard, and the, the original language in the text is very, uh, very vivid. Literally, it says, Mary came telling. She couldn't stop talking about her encounter with the risen Lord. The mourner has now become the missionary, and so it is with all of us who, when we meet the risen Christ. We are called to do as Mary did. We're called to go and tell uh, whoever will listen that we have seen Jesus. Mary has firsthand knowledge, and so do we. You see, there's great power in the words of someone who can say, you know what, I was there, I saw, I heard, and I'm giving you an eyewitness account. Great story about a little Baptist church in Bangladesh it was showing a film about Jesus to an audience filled with people who have never heard the gospel before. Little children were... Uh, all seated down front there were and in the aisles and it was sort of like a day like today church was full people standing everywhere as the story of Jesus crucifixion unfolded on screen there were tears there were audible gasps and as the people watched one young boy suddenly stood up and said don't be afraid he gets up again I've seen this one before <laughs> but you know what that's our message to a world that's overwhelmed with the reality of discouragement and disappointment and death. God has given us the answer, and we can say to those today who are bewildered and those who are brokenhearted, you don't have to fear. Jesus has come back from the dead. We have seen the Lord. One of my former pastors from seminary days, David Siemens, tells the story of a Muslim in Africa who became a Christian when his friends asked him why he made that decision, he told them, suppose you were going down a road and suddenly the road forked in two directions and you didn't know which way to go, but you saw two men at the fork, one was dead, one was alive, which one would you follow? And he said, I decided to follow the man who was alive. And that is what Christ followers have done for 2000 years, we have followed the man who was alive. Can you say today, I have seen the Lord? Can you truly say to Jesus, my Lord and my God? 
You know, if you don't know Jesus today, or if you aren't sure, there is no better time than this Easter Sunday to put your trust in him. Here's a very simple prayer that you can pray to express the desire of your heart. If you sense that God is calling you to, to come to Jesus this morning, if you truly want to know him, there's a short prayer that will change your life. And it's going to be on screen. I invite you to pray it with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I confess that apart from your grace, I will never go to heaven. Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for me. Thank you for taking my punishment and dying in my place. I believe you rose from the dead on the third day. With all my heart, I trust you as my Savior and Lord. Come into my heart and save me now. I gladly receive your gift of salvation. Amen. Now this prayer isn't magic. We aren't saved by prayer. We are saved by the faith in Jesus Christ alone. But a prayer like this can express the faith that reaches out to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you prayed that prayer today for the very first time, I would invite you to do two things. First, if you have a Bible with you or even the worship folder, write your name and today's date on there as a reminder of your commitment to Christ. And then secondly, go out and tell somebody today that you prayed that prayer and that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Share the good news with someone else so that you can encourage them. And your faith will grow and your doubts will vanish as you begin to tell people about what Jesus Christ has done in your life. I want to close this morning with just asking you again the simple question that Jesus asked Mary. Why are you weeping? You see, the time for tears is over. The time to tell the good news has come because he is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. God, we recognize in this story that there is a journey here from the darkness of unfaith to partial faith and finally to perfect faith. Mary's seeing is clouded by disappointment and grief and unmistakable loss. But the sound of Jesus' voice and the use of her name gives her a new vision. She recognizes him and she's filled with hope and joy. So, Lord, this Easter day, invite us to leave our tombs of self-absorption and hopelessness and walk with Easter eyes. Help us to bear witness to your risen presence in our shadowed and fractured world. And may our humble efforts of reaching out in compassion and love enable others to rise from their tombs and live. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.